Welcome to another episode of EMIGCAST. This is your host, Nicholas Robbins. This month, August 2016, we're going to be looking at a clinical case. We're going to do it a little different than we have in the past. So instead of interviewing somebody, we're going to discuss this case, and we're going to have questions associated with this case that are going to be relevant for our different educational levels of our listeners. For instance, our basic science students are going to have a question that they will be geared to, and then from there, we're going to have a question for our clerkship students, and then beyond, we're going to have a discussion which may be controversial. Ooh, controversy. So this month, get ready. We are going to discuss the dreaded right flank pain. Oh no, not the dreaded right flank pain. All doctors to the ER. Here we go. So our case begins with a 48-year-old male with no significant past medical history presenting with acute right flank pain. It started suddenly early this evening while he was eating dinner and has been increasing in intensity over the last several hours. The pain is currently 10 out of 10 in severity and radiates to his groin. (laughs) Nothing seems to relieve the pain or exacerbate it. He has had some nausea and pink urine but no fevers or vomiting. So for our basic science students, that's our MS1s and MS2s. The most common cause of this disease is formed by which substance? Is it A, bile, B, cholesterol, C, calcium, or D, uric acid? I'm gonna let you think about that for a little bit. We're gonna move on to the next question. I'm gonna let everybody hear the questions first so they can think about them. And then we'll come back, because if we start talking about the answers ahead of time, it's possible that you may answer differently. So let's kind of think about this. So clerkship students, you may have an idea of what's going on here. Let's say you order a CBC, a CMP, a PTT, INR, and a urinalysis. It returns a small bump in creatinine and large blood on urinalysis. Our question for you is, What is the most sensitive and specific imaging modality to confirm the presence of the suspected pathology causing this disease? Would it be A, a KUB x-ray, B, a non-contrast helical CD, C, ultrasound, or D, biopsy? And for our final discussion, we will be asking you, what is the next best order in the emergency department? Will it be A, a bedside ultrasound, B, a non-contrast helical CT, C, a KUB x-ray, or D, an intravenous pyeloerythrography. So we have these questions posted on our website. There is also a link to a Google form where you can take this exam really quick. If you'd like, you can stop the recording, take it really quick, and then come back, and we will discuss the answers. So we're back and hopefully you are too. So let's go back to that first question for our basic science students and maybe everybody else. The most common cause of this disease is formed from which substance? 
Was it A, bile, B, cholesterol, C, calcium, or D, uric acid? In order to answer this question, you have to start getting an idea of what's going on here. This guy had right flank pain that was sudden and onset. He was eating dinner. It radiated to his groin, and it sounds like he has a little hematuria. So thinking about this, we have maybe acute cholecystitis, but probably not. This gentleman probably has renal stones. So really what the question is asking is, what is the most common substance that forms renal calculi? And that answer, if you answered it A, would be incorrect because bile would be the second common cause of gallstones. If you answered B, <sighs> that would also be incorrect. Cholesterol is the most common cause of gallstones. So that leaves calcium and uric acid. And if you answered C, calcium, yes, you would be correct. The most common cause of renal stones is calcium. You have calcium oxalate or calcium phosphate stones. So moving on to our next question. You get a small bump in creatinine when you look at the labs and there's a large amount of blood on your analysis. So you know that we're looking for renal calculi here. What is the most sensitive and specific imaging modality to confirm the presence of the suspected pathology causing this disease? Would it be a KUB x-ray? Would it be a non-contrast helical CT? Would it be an ultrasound? Or would it be a biopsy? If you answered D, biopsy, <sighs> why did you do that? So disappointed. Biopsy is not a imaging modality. And even if it were, we still would not order it in this case. That would be the workup for like a glomerulonephritis. So really, what we're looking at is, is an x-ray of the kidneys, ureter, and bladder the best solution? Is it a non-contrast helical CD? Or is an ultrasound? If you answered kidney, ureter, bladder, x-ray, you would remember that 90% of these stones are radio-opaque. However, you would be incorrect because for stones less than 4 millimeters, it is extremely insensitive for these. So even though those stones are radio-opaque, that is not the best imaging modality for sensitivity and specificity. Oh! So of course... Hopefully you guessed ultrasound. Yes! But once again, you would be incorrect. Ah! The thing with ultrasound is you can barely ever see stones on ultrasound. Only stones proximal to the ureteropelvic junction and distal to the ureterovesical junction can be visualized consistently. This translates to about 64% of stones being in the field of view. And of these, it's only about 16% sensitive for stones less than 7 millimeters and 75% sensitive for those greater than 7 millimeters. So the answer is non-contrast helical CD, which in previous studies has shown a sensitivity of about 97% and a specificity of 96%. So if you're looking for renal calculi, that would be your best imaging modality. It's very highly sensitive and very specific for this particular pathology. So then we come to our last question. Again, this may be a controversial answer, but we're going to discuss it. What is the next best order for the emergency department? Was it A, bedside ultrasound, B, non-contrast helical CT, C, KUB x-ray, 
and D, intravenous pyloureterography. So if you answer D, IVPU, you may be pretty old school. We don't really order these anymore. They've been done with for many years, and we certainly don't order them out of the emergency department. So really, it comes down to kind of the three imaging modalities that we talked about before. So there's a lot of things to take into consideration here. Ease of getting the test, time, would we change our clinical course when we use it? Is it going to detect what we want it to detect? And or will we be missing a bad outcome if we use one modality over another modality? So KUB C is unfortunately not the right answer here again. This is not going to be the best first test for our particular patient. The answer is A, bedside ultrasound. <laughs> so that begs the question, if a helical non-contrast CT is highly sensitive and highly specific for this particular disease, why would we order the bedside ultrasound that we just said was very insensitive for renal stone? Well, that's for a couple different reasons. And one of the reasons is we don't actually need to see the renal stones in order to make a presumptive diagnosis and treat this patient appropriately. And one of the reasons why is because bedside ultrasound can see hydronephrosis. And hydronephrosis is a good indicator of obstruction somewhere in the ureter or kidneys. So if we can see hydronephrosis on ultrasound, we have a very good idea that there is a stone there and that the patient has nephrolithiasis. We don't actually need to see the stone to make this diagnosis. And we've provided the links for some papers here. One of the papers entitled Bedside Ultrasound and the Assessment of Renal Colic, a Review. One of the things they found in this particular paper is that the sensitivity ranged between 72 and 97% and 73 and 80% specificity for detecting hydronephrosis with ultrasound, either between bedside ultrasound or formal ultrasound. So it's pretty darn good for detecting hydronephrosis. Now, in this paper, they also found that hydronephrosis correlates well to stone size. So the larger amount of hydronephrosis that you have, the more likely that you have a bigger stone obstructing the tract. Seems pretty logical, but they were able to go through review and find these studies that looked at this and determined that that's actually the case. So if it's pretty sensitive for finding hydronephrosis and the degree of hydronephrosis correlates well to the size of the stone, and the patient in his history clinically sounds like he has renal stones, there's good reason to make that diagnosis. What we can look at is a disease course that is usually self-limited, and there are typically no major complications for this. Then we don't necessarily need to actually see on CT that there's stones there. The lastly thing that they found in this paper is that only the patients with severe hydronephrosis or patients that had mild to moderate hydronephrosis that had failed clinical treatment needed further workup, which included CT, urology consult, or possibly even admission to the hospital. In summation of that paper, ultrasound is very good for assessing what type of patients have clinically relevant stones. Does this patient need further workup and referral? Or can I send this patient home with pain management and instructions for hydration? So to further go along this topic, there was a paper published in the New England Journal in 2014 titled Ultrasonography versus Computed Tomography for Suspected Nephrolephiasis. What they wanted to look at is 
let's say we do bedside ultrasound, or the patient gets a formal ultrasound, or the patient gets a CT. What are the difference in outcomes of these patients? And overall, will the patient be exposed to less radiation? So this was a multi-center study. It went with 2,759 patients that underwent randomization, whether the patient received bedside ultrasound, formal ultrasound, or CT was pretty even across the board. They wanted to look at whether or not high-risk diagnosis were missed in these patients, whether or not they had significant difference in adverse events from the renal stones, whether their pain scores were different, whether their return emergency department visits were different, or whether they had a subsequent hospitalization. Then overall, they looked at the cumulative radiation exposure. They followed these patients for six months. And what they found at the end of the day is, is if you start with formal ultrasound or bedside ultrasound, number one, over a six-month period of time, the patients have less radiation exposure. And there was no difference in adverse events from the stones. There was no differences in missing high-risk diagnosis for other things. There was no difference in pain scores for these patients. They did not return to the emergency department more and they did not have a difference in hospitalization. So it's a really good thing to look at because as emergency providers, we wanna be able to provide the best care. We certainly don't wanna miss any high-risk diagnosis. However, we have to think about things like radiation exposure. And if this is somebody that has renal stones, these often reoccur, so they may have a lifetime incidence for CT scans that are gonna be higher so knowing that these things recur and they may have to have CTs over and over again, bedside ultrasound is a very good choice for these patients. Once you detect that they have hydronephrosis, if it's severe, if you see full dilation of the renal calyxes and you determine that this is a severe hydronephrosis, you know that the patient needs further workup and probably needs that helical CT and probably referral to urology. However, if it's less than that, you can try outpatient treatment first because what they found with this study is the outcomes are really no different. So in summary, your patient has renal colic. You must assume that these are typically calcium stones. We know the most sensitive test will be helical CT. However, the next best thing for us to do is an ultrasound with these patients. That will get us the diagnosis or at least make what we're thinking is going on less likely if we don't see hydronephrosis. And it allows the patient to experience less radiation exposure during their visit. So thank you for tuning into this episode. We hope you enjoy it. We hope to make this type of discussion part of our normal broadcast in the future. Going forward, we're still planning on having episodes like we've done in the past, where we invite somebody and interview them and talk about a topic in emergency medicine. And we'd also like to provide for our listeners clinical topics like this. It gives us a time to use our brains to think about these things um, and to have a discussion. So thank you for tuning in and listening to this episode of EMICCast for August 2016. This is Nicholas Robbins. We'll see you next time. La, 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 la.